Welcome to the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller podcast. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me, of course, is the rookie, Chris Dashew. I had my fish sticks for breakfast, and now I've got heartburn. <laughs> oh, boy. what a weird man that man is. I love it. I He's love something. it. He's something. You episode. love it or you love it? Oh, <laughs> that's right, Levine. Thank you, sir. On this episode of the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller podcast, we're talking about three episodes of the original series, Barney Miller. We're talking about three episodes from the fifth season, episodes 9, 10, 11, The Vandal, released November 9th, 1978, The Harris Incident, released November 30th, 1978, and The Radical, released December 7th, 1978, a date that will live in infamy. Chris really strong episodes this time around uh one of the best episodes of this show and a turning point i think in the show overall not this episode but i think the next one we're talking about but yeah this is these three episodes are the three strongest all at once that i think we've ever seen of this show genuinely like i i you know i've been reading uh, Barney Miller and the Files of the Old One Two, our good friend Otto Bruno's book, and he talks a lot about uh, you know this season of the show because it's a changing period for the show. Obviously, Jack Sue is on his way out because he's been diagnosed with cancer and he would pass away, and you have the kind of influx more of Ron Carey into the picture. So it, honestly, it finally feels like, in a lot of ways, like if this is why you're here and you've been enjoying this, you're going to be getting this for three more seasons. This is the, this is the, this feels like that moment for me, at least. This is, to your point, the final appearance of Jack Sue. Oh, man, which is really sad. But at least he goes out on a good joke as far as the filing goes, because don't you know, we walk in and the whole precinct, well, not the precinct, but the old one too. the bullpen has been vandalized, thus the vandal. And pretty soon, oh boy, there's some doubt about Levitt and what he might be up to. I didn't for one second think it would actually be Levitt, though. No, no, no way. But I do it. appreciate the jokes from Harris about it possibly being Levitt. And I like that he is basically spinning yarns in order to try and impress one of the prisoners, Lawrence Snepp who is a television executive who's in charge of programming. And he has, well, he didn't really get into an argument. It was another gentleman, uh, Jay Gerber as Lloyd Edelson, who basically attacked him in a cafe and was all on him about the bad programming. We are getting very meta in this episode. Howard Honig is a very recognizable actor for me right now because I just watched Airplane and he plays the husband of the woman who uh, starts shooting chicken eggs out of her mouth. <laughs> is he the guy who never goes for a, another cup of her coffee or is that a different person? That's a different that's a different person. Oh, OK, the, okay. Uh, uh, he never has two cups of coffee at home. He, yeah, not only is he in Airplane 1, he's also in Airplane 2, the sequel, but though as a different character. Less said about that movie, the better, I think. Airplane 2? I, I kind of like that movie. I, 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 well, then I will reserve any further judgment until I watch it again, but I have seen it only once and I don't remember laughing. So I remember William Shatner was in it. That's right. He, Shatner's in it, right? That's right. Okay. We will talk more about that, I'm sure, when we kick off a new podcast that we're doing all about Naked Gun. 
Yeah, we'll be talking about Airplane and Airplane 2 because those are the lead-ups to that show. But it's funny because in this episode, there's actually a bit uh, that I that is in a new comedy show on Netflix called uh, I Think You Should Leave, Tim Robinson's show. The Chris Lloyd bit in this episode <gasps> feels very similar to a bit in that episode in that show where Will Forte plays a guy who gets on an airplane next to Tim Robinson. And I won't spoil it, but if you've seen this episode of this show, that little skit has a very similar payoff and kind of setup to Chris Lloyd going, you don't remember me. You ruined my life. And Barney does the whole, I don't know who the hell you are. And in that Tim Robinson sketch, it's very similar. And I don't think it's inspired by it, but I like this this setup of we don't know who it is. And at the end, it's he doesn't even know who that guy is. He doesn't remember him. And apparently Barney was a real shit heel back in the day. Trying to make points. I guess so. I littering. I audibly gasped when Christopher Lloyd showed up in this episode. Boy, he just he's a he is a house of fire when he shows up. Oh my god, I was so happy. And this is I mean, this is prime Christopher oh my, Lloyd. This is Taxi Chris Lloyd, isn't it? Is this even before Taxi? I'm trying to remember when Taxi happens. This is like We need to get our friend Father Malone in here. He's I the one know. who does the Taxi podcast. I this would have been the perfect episode for him. It would have. But yeah. but uh, but alas, so this episode's in 74 taxi comes out in 78 yeah so but he's the character from taxi is not like this character no no reverend jim is very sedate this is actually the same year that taxi comes out so he is a house on fire at this point yeah and this is his first appearance yeah i can't believe we're going to get him again as yeah carew yeah, man. And what's crazy is it's 2022 and I just watched a new movie with Christopher Lloyd in it. Yeah. Spirit Halloween, the movie. Yeah, he's going strong. I mean, yeah. Nice guy, too. Oh, very met nice him. Guy. Met him once at a Comic-Con and sat and talked to me for a couple of minutes, unlike a lot of the people. So I love seeing him in anything. I know, obviously, Back to the Future is kind of his, I, I guess, I don't know. I guess that's what most people know him from. But man, he is just... He's great. And he's a great voice actor. He's a great character actor. He's a great lead actor. And yeah, he steals the show here, like to the point where you wish he was on the show more because his chemistry with everybody is really good. Yeah, he just comes in and he is on fire and seething. And how dare Barney, who is a a dirty ma ha 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 ha. <laughs> yeah it's uh whew. i love that oh man this this episode just sings i mean the a plot with all of that stuff going on with the vandalism and then you've got the b plot with the television executive and we even get a shout out to colombo which was fantastic yeah yeah very happy about that and yeah it this whole thing is fantastic. I love that the other guy who had attacked the exec is just all about the bad shows that are out there, name checking so many great bad shows, including one of my favorites, My Mother the Car. And the best thing is, all of these shows that he's dropping are real shows. So, My Mother the Car is, I recently heard about it. I read about it in Otto's book, and I had to look it up because I could not believe it was a real thing. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. What did someone do too much fucking cocaine one day in the 70s? We're like, this is a good idea. It was 1965 that oh, that sorry. Show came sorry. Out. They were doing more cocaine before, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this oh, is like, man. it's, it's, uh, it is, is it less ridiculous than BJ and the Bear? Uh, or more ridiculous, you think? It's more ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. It's more ridiculous. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we even get a nice network reference. So that was pretty good too. Even though network had been two years gone, but that was nice that we yeah, had that. Topical. Yeah. I, I wanted to mention another thing um, about this episode that uh, I realized while reading Otto's book. So Ron Carey's real name is not Ron Carey. Carey is a, a stage name. Ron Carey's last name is Sasania, which is just a different spelling of my mom's maiden name. Really? Which was insane to find out. Yeah. And I mention all this because in the span of three episodes, oh boy, in the span of three episodes, Ron Carey is now second or third favorite on this show. Like it, it like just like that. I'm, I'm, I'm aghast at myself for even saying it. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he has gone from insufferable to lovable little Levitt. Yeah. And not only lovable, but also like, at points somewhat a, a voice of reason well and he shows which is strange he shows backbone in this episode which i really like i like that confrontation between him and bernie and just you know are you asking everyone about their personal life <laughs> right oh and 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 then at the end that scene between him and barney oh, is just yeah. holy shit i mean for the love of god like this show when it I know it's a comedic show, but there are dramatic moments, and we'll talk about it in the next episode almost oh <laughs> almost exclusively. But the end of this episode gives you an idea kind of of where the next episode's going in the ability for characters who have not – it's not that they don't talk to each other, but – they're not talking to each other about serious things most of the time. Most of the time, it's just Tony Sheehan's writing, just singing off the page and everybody just cracking wise. But but they're such well-thought-out characters that when they do have to confront one another, it feels real. It doesn't feel like it's a forced uh, issue. These are well-thought-out, fully fleshed-out, and fully realized characters at this point. And it shows. It really does, especially with that scene at the end where, like you said, Levitt just said sticks it to all of them. It's yeah. like, you know, hey, I I showed some fucking restraint. Like you guys didn't. Thanks. Which is the thing that everybody assumes Levitt's going to be, which is not showing any restraint because most of the time he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think leads to why maybe the two of us weren't the biggest fans of his character was because it was just kind of this dopey little dingus who would show up and make some not not that they were unfunny, but he always seemed like he was inserting himself and this time with this episode definitely the next one it feels like he is as part of this precinct and the 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 guys in the bullpen he is just as much a part of it as the as as harris as wojahowitz as yamana as dietrich and i appreciate that because the show you know for as big a problems as we had with levitt for a last four seasons uh, all of a sudden, I mean, not all of a sudden, but it, it's it's taken a very quick turn of his character being written in a more reserved and nuanced way. Mm -hmm. I think it's as, as quick as the way that we went from uh, Luger to, oh, Luger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll agree with you 100 percent. And and look, you know, the most of the people writing the show in the first 
four, three seasons were not the, you know, Danny Arnold's golden boys, Tony Sheehan and Reinhold Ouija. And those, I mean, Reinhold Ouija's name isn't on this script, but Tony Sheehan's name is. And you'll find Tony Sheehan's name on a lot of scripts, obviously, because like I said, him and Reinhold Ouija are, are kind of the two, the left and right arm of Danny Arnold. And then they become, obviously, they, you know, they end up running the show when Danny Arnold leaves. Mm-hmm. And I mean, my God, just when it's the writing team who gets it, it really just there. There has not been a funnier show about police officers that also manages to create characters that you like that are re- these feel like real police officers more so than shows like Law and Order or uh, Hill Street. I mean, Hill Street Blues is pretty close, but this this is like the comedic version of Hill Street Blues is kind of where where I'm coming down on this show now, because, again, yeah, it's funny, but these are real like these feel like real people. And it's and I'm so glad that the writing team on this show understands the voices of each of these characters so well that they can execute them in a way that, yeah, like we've been saying, we did a 180 on Levitt essentially in the fifth season. We have done a 180 on Levitt since we started this season. Oh, yeah. Yeah. hundred And we're like, what, halfway through it at this point? A little a little under halfway. So, you know, only only up from here. But yeah, this is this episode really goes to show that you don't you don't necessarily have to write Levitt a certain way for his character to be funny and have an impact. And I appreciate I appreciate that because also they talk about him a whole hell of a lot and he's not around most of the time, which is also testament to Ron Carey's ability as an actor. Mm-hmm. He makes the most with like the three minutes he's given. Yeah. He yeah. I I gotta just echo everything that you said. He's just, he really just shows up in this episode and really it's a much better episode for it. And I kind of like that. There's, there's not really in my mind, there's not really any doubt that he didn't do this, but then that Harris is just showing off, but, and manages to convince people like, Oh, maybe it was, right. you know, maybe, maybe he's disgruntled because he's keeps trying to get that promotion. And he never does. He's got short guy syndrome. Testament to Harris's character, too, because he's such a charismatic actor that you don't you don't dislike him for it. Yeah, No, exactly. You don't feel like, well, this guy is antagonizing Levitt because he doesn't like him. It's just like, well, I mean, it's logical. I mean, it's kind of a logical conclusion to come to the way Levitt talks about certain Mm -hmm. things. And yeah, there was no doubt in my mind. And again, I don't think there was really a doubt in the mind of the characters in the show. But at the same time, you can understand why they would come to that conclusion, given how hard he's driving at being part of their little family up in the top of the precinct. And I think what's funny is by the end of this episode, he is. Yeah, he is 100 percent. And like, and there's no going back from that at this point. It's made very, and then it got in the next episode. It's like, yeah, well, can we just, can we just talk about the next episode? It's the best episode, one of the best episodes of television I've ever fucking seen in my lifetime. I got chills watching mm-hmm. this episode. So let's set it up a little bit. The Harris incident. So we've got the return of the one and only Ed Peck. Ed Peck, who is on the Hash episode, and he was the one who was was talking to Fish about Bernice, and basically, like it sounds like he and Bernice had gone out a long time ago. And I have the note: guy who dated Bernice is randomly back, and then yes. I put, and then I put, where's Mike? <laughs> I'm still waiting. They're bringing this guy back. That that was so fucking long ago. A Bogota was on the show. Yeah. Yeah. 
it, it blew my mind when he walked in because I recognized him out outright. Oh, and I remember God, yeah. what a fucking shit heel he was then. And continue your setup because boy, this right. Whew. So we've got this whole hey, Harris is late. Uh, you know, two times this week, three if you're counting. <laughs> Man, Ugh. way to go, Dietrich! Just throwing him under the bus. Landisburg, man. Oh man, and yeah, this. Uh, so Harris is—he's uh, late again. We get a phone call. Oh, Harris has been shot at. What is this whole thing? We think, oh, maybe it's uh, another incident. Like you know, Barney was just shot recently. What in the finger or whatever it was? You know, right, right, had- right had people have these incidents but it's actually a case of him being shot at by two police officers that he was trying to foil a crime had a gun in his hand and these two a-hole uh, uh uniform officers pull up and start taking pot shots at him and man when they come in and they start to give their explanation and we've got the younger guy walt darvek uh portrayed by rick walm i think you would say it he comes this close to dropping the n-word on tv Mm -hmm. we thought it was just another yeah holy shit yeah (laughs) i was uh I was shocked by what this episode is. And also, you know, these are, this is Reinhold Ouija, Shelley Zellman and Wally Dalton who had written, uh, I guess before this, it was the prisoner and the accusation Uh and the accusation was another kind of strange episode, similar to this one where it's, it's, it's not really about the jokes here. Like it, 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 it is because the reactions that you're seeing are, funny i guess but it's not but it's not a funny ep- i mean it's a funny episode but it's not funny in the way that the last one was right right i mean we've got our b plot of michael lombard who is making a living now uh he used to be in finance went stockbroker or whatever yeah. worked on wall street he got fired a long time ago and rather than try to get another job he ends up begging he asks somebody what he be cashed out some stuff he goes to go back home one day on a train he doesn't have any money he begs for a ticket manages to have somebody give him money and he gets a charge out of it realizes that he's a really good beggar so we've got that storyline going on and i really liked that storyline i really liked how great he and Gail going back and forth. It's fantastic when he's basically begging him for the piece of gum and begging him for the phone call. And uh, I really just, yeah, that interplay is fantastic. And Max Gale or Wojohowicz is right on point. I mean, the guy oh, is full yeah. of shit. I mean, he is, you know, he, he mentions on the phone, oh, make sure the, the maid takes care of the kids. Like, yes. But at the same time, what's crazy is if you look into it, if you actually go and panhandle, or, or beg or whatever the hell you want to call it. You can make a decent living doing it. Like, oh, yeah. like a couple, I, I think I remember reading something, you know, a couple of years, it was like 20 or $30,000 a year. And just uh, putting yourself at the behest of other people is probably the best way of putting yeah. it. He makes a lot more than Columbo does as a detective. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And somehow looks just about as shabby, frankly. 
Yeah. He's uh Michael Lombard plays that hangdog look real well. It's it's very effective until it's uh, until it's obvious it's a put on. Yeah, the the whole split in the back of the suit jacket and everything yeah. when his oh, wife yeah. comes in she's why are you dressed like a bum? <laughs> Cuz I am a bum. I'm a dirty bum. I mean, this is one of the strongest B stories that we've had mm-hmm. in a long time. This really worked. And yeah, that whole like Oh man, Wojo is just being a dick to this homeless guy, and you know how dare he? But then he's just like his his gut basically tells him no. This there's something up with this, and really calls him out, which I liked. Yeah, I know it's it's a it's a great B plot because again, it 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 does tie into the A plot because it's all about appearances, Mm -hmm. and that's the the initial crux of this episode is two white officers assuming that an African American detective is a thief and we get kind of the inverse of it with with michael lombard's character mm-hmm. but uh i cried at the end of this episode when Wojohowitz, <sighs> i lost it i fucking lost it over barney miller man like yeah. when he when his voice cracks it's just like where what is the show we're watching like again i it's not this is a comedy all intents and purposes but this episode like Okay. Yeah, because yeah, it's funny. The Harris stuff, it's serious at first. It's a little serious. You know, right. There's, but there's definitely a lot more comedy. This whole thing of the younger officer with the ba- uh, the bandage on his nose. And just, we, you know, we hate this uh, Ed Peck character so much. I mean, I he hate him. He makes it real easy to hate him, man. Oh, man. He was so great. He was uh, this recurring character on uh, Happy Days called Officer Kirk, I think it was. And he was always just coming in and trying to bust Fonzie's chops and stuff. And it's just like, you don't bust Fonzie's chops, you know? And so he has that for me going. But man, in the two appearances that he does on Barney Miller, all of Barney Miller, this is the second one he just comes in he's a dick so perfect man oh man this guy can nail that role and he and you know what i would even say he's better than the actor who plays scanlon Mm -hmm. oh yeah like the the actor who plays scanlon is hateable but also like you know he's just a cop dickhead like this guy feels like this feels intentional oh this feels motivated and again it's racially motivated which is the obvious obviously what the episode's driving at but i'm so glad that they they take that part the rick wallen and ed peck thing where they're the two white officers who shot at harris i like how they just get rid of it after about halfway through the episode because the more interesting part of this episode is what comes after when harris just goes are you fucking with me that these two assholes are gonna walk out of here without a fucking anything nobody's gonna say anything about this right i I even have it written down you know he's talking about we're gonna do it by the book and harris goes the book written by the man yeah yeah and it's like yeah no and and you you realize very quickly how out of sorts harris all of a sudden feels in his own precinct surrounded by people that again are his friends and his colleagues and he makes it known and you know then you get into a, a, a polish joke that Oh, my God. (laughs) Which is pretty funny. Oh, my God. It's almost good that Nick isn't in this episode because now we just have Harris as the lone minority in there. And we've talked about, you know, 
Woj just got the whole Polish thing. Uh, uh, I almost said Levine Levitt has the short thing. And when Levitt tries to get on Harris's level by talking about, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I'm discriminated against because I'm short. And you're just like, oh, my God, you are so tone deaf. But it just it works like nothing in this episode. Like, I mean, for fuck's sake, man, this thing comes out in 1978. It's 2022. And we're still having the same conversations. You know, we're still feeling the effects of the whole George Floyd thing and just, oh, my God, it's like. <laughs> it's, well, and it's I mean, it, I mean, they, they fucking say it right at the end. I mean, how Lyndon goes, you know, there's you know, there's bad days. And then Harris goes, there will be more. Oh, yeah. But we'll handle it like that. That it, There will be. We're having this dialogue 50 plus years later because we're going to be having this dialogue until you and I are long dead in the ground. It's not going anywhere. And that's a, a good and bad thing at, in a lot of ways. Like if we weren't having that dialogue, you could say that we lost sight of what is important about having that discussion. But at the same time, like you said, I would like to live in a society where that's not something we need to be talking about. But I think at the end of the day, it's it's rather unrealistic, which is what I appreciate this episode gets at. It's like as much as we don't want to have these conversations, as much as we don't want to, like Max Gale says, I never saw you as black. Right. And, right. and it's like, it's heartbreaking. It, it's it. This is again. There's an episode of the show called Rape that handles that topic so poorly, and I didn't have any inkling of an idea that when when I started watching this episode, it was going to handle the 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 question of racial interplay between colleagues and people who work together in a serious way, more serious than the episode called Rape did. God bless Noam Pitlick for the way that he's shooting the end of this episode, where it is Harris in a one shot. And then Wojo, Dietrich, and Bernie in a three shot and just cutting back and forth between these to just show how isolated Harris is and that the rest of these white guys are standing there. It just, he really does a good job with that. And yeah, you just, that there's the anger, the frustration, and it's frustration on multiple people's parts. You know, the yeah. frustration that that Wojo has and this is like we've talked uh, this season hasn't been a very strong Wojo season. Like, no, we've complained about him a lot. It was he was number two to Barney. And it was basically it was kind of like Barney is the father figure and Wojo's kind of the errant son who's he's putting on the right path. And this episode, he is back and he is just, man, oh man, Max Scale is just giving it. And this, um, obviously, it was nominated for an Emmy. And so it just really makes a lot of sense that this episode of all the episodes for this season stood out so much that it was Emmy nominated as it should have been. And I don't know if it won or not. But it I, did. I, good. Gnome Pitlick won for direction. Fucking A. Good. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and that's and and to your point, the the way Noam Pitlick shoots it, the snappiness of the dialogue, the re, the real conversation that they're having, it's not some bullshit conversation. This is a conversation that could be taking place today. Yeah. It probably has taken place today in a workplace near you, frankly, because again, there's no there. We live in a very complex set of societal 
circles and it's hard to navigate all of them correctly. And there are people like Ed Peck out in the world who don't give a shit about navigating them. And then there are people like me and you who give a shit about navigating them like how Lynn or, you know, like Barney, like Wojo. But sometimes I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we just don't understand. And sometimes we can't empathize directly, but we can sympathize because again, look, I'm gay, but I'm a white guy to anybody else. You're a white guy to anybody else. Like, you know, uh, it's, it's there, there is always going to be that disconnect. And I'm mm-hmm. so glad that this episode takes it upon itself to say, okay, I'm going to present to you how different people react to this situation through each of these unique characters, like Landisberg, who goes, oh, you know, maybe we're talking about this the wrong way. Right. To Ron Carey being the guy who, you know, tries to say, well, I, I get you being discriminated against because I'm discriminated against, too. It's like if he had been a gay character, it would have made perfect sense. But given that he's just a diminutive guy, I mean, yeah, I'm sure he is discriminated against, but it's not the same. Right. It is discrimination, but it's a different kind of discrimination. And people do get discriminated against for being short. I mean, that is a thing. It's just it's not. It's not comparatively the same. Right. Well, it's funny, you know, as a very fat person, I feel that a little bit, but in the next episode, and I'm not trying to take us to the next episode yet, because we've got a lot more to to talk about with this one, but in the next episode, you get Stuart Penkin, who's just like throwing himself at fat jokes and making everything like, oh, you're making this because I'm fat. He's like self-persecuted about this stuff. And it's just like, wow. Okay. Like that's the wrong way, but this episode is the right way. And yeah, this whole like Barney trying to explain to Wojo what, Harris is feeling and that you can't understand it. You cannot understand how another person feels 100%. You can empathize, but you can't really put yourself in that person's shoes. And then, yeah, that fucking Polish joke is so good. And then when, when Dietrich pulls it back out at the end, yeah. oh my fucking great. And that's the way you do it, man. You have this super, super serious episode like right towards the end we get super serious you get that moment that you're talking about i'm getting shivers you're busting out crying and then you end it on the fucking joke and you fucking nailed this episode man yeah i i know and you're totally right and you know what it speaks to it speaks to a style of writing that we don't get to see a lot anymore because most of the time now, if this was being written in 2022, there would have been a fucking joke halfway through that conversation to undercut the emotional weight of everything that we're seeing. And there are jokes, but they don't get in the way of what they're talking about. It's more people just going like, "Mm -hmm," like, I don't know, like just grasping at straws. And then you, yeah, you get Landisberg coming in and, and really just putting a pin in it. But if this were, I mean, if, you know, not to gang up on Marvel, but if this were a Marvel thing, it would have had a joke halfway through that scene to undercut the emotional weight. And I am glad that they just they just leave it. They just leave, leave it there and they let you sit with it for a second. Yeah. And as an audience member in 78, I've got to wonder what the response was. Obviously, it gets nominated for an Emmy. Obviously, it wins the Emmy for direction. So people were very receptive to it. But like you said, we're still having this conversation. Right. It's just one more drop in the bucket of a conversation worth having constantly being given a time and place to have it that feels timeless because it's it's surrounded by characters that are in this episode, at least stand ins for people at the time. 
Uh-huh. Or stand-ins for people in our time now. And that's what makes it feel timeless. And yeah, I'm glad Jack Sue is not in this episode. I hadn't even thought about that. But to bring that back to what you had said, like, yeah, it's it or, or even Gregory Sierra or even Abe Vagoda, because then you could have had three people who I mean, again, Max, you know, Wojohowicz for all intents and purposes, yeah, he's Polish, but he is white. Right. He is white. I mean, you know, you look white. I mean, there's nothing there's nothing that there's to be done about that so yeah it's it but yamana or vagoda or um gregory sierra like then it's then then you then the, the the chemistry of that scene changes and i don't think it would be i don't think it would be nearly as effective if you've got one other character going well i, I get it i'm on your side because then it it just it makes it like you said less isolationary towards the end with harris standing back and really telling everybody how he feels and in a lot of ways, uh, you know, I, I said it in the opening, this this feels like an inflection point for the show. Uh-huh. Like now the characters all are kind of on the same page, especially Levitt, because he tries to leave. And Barney goes, no, you're fucking staying here. You're part of this. Yeah. And that was that was the moment where I was like, all right, like the show has made it clear what the expectations for me are as an audience member moving forward. He's part of this. And and if you're going to include him in anything to make it obvious to us where he's stands with the precinct, do it in this episode. And they yeah, did. That was this nice. is my favorite episode of the show so far. Like, I maybe there will be another episode that's better. But this episode's rather highly rated on IMDb. Not that that matters, but it won an Emmy. Yeah. And it handles a topic that's rather serious, like very serious, just as serious as rape. But yeah. actually, you know, gives it the emotional weight that it deserves and the emotional space to really not just be a gag fest like the fucking rape episode was there were no laughs in that part at the end there was no laugh track going off (laughs) but during the rape episode there's you know eighty thousand jokes about Uh, you know marriage or a spousal rape and it's like this is not funny (laughs) regardless of what the laugh track says yeah well it's funny when you think about it ed peck has been in the two best episodes of Bernie Miller that we've seen so far, the hash episode and this episode. Yeah. Agreed. Maybe it's Ed, Ed Peck. <laughs> Ed Peck, the secret MVP of Barney Miller. Right. <laughs> I mean, sure. Why not? Yeah. It's good a person as any, but I, I really think, I mean, you obviously have uh, the writing is just, I mean, good Lord. Wally Dalton and Shelley Zellman, along with Reinhold Ouija, just, we know Reinhold Ouija can write very well. Obviously, Danny Arnold giving him as much kind of of a part of the show as he did, but Wally Dalton and Shelley Zellman are not seen as like da- Danny Arnold's golden children. They just mm-hmm. write for the show. And man, I imagine when this script was turned in, everybody just looked around the room and said, holy shit, what is this? And you know what? It shows on screen because this is a... S- standout episode of television, not just Barney Miller. The third episode we're going to talk about, it's, yeah, it could be more serious. And there are a couple serious moments. And I almost wish they would have dealt with that a little bit more. So the third episode yeah. is the radical. And in this one, we've got an ABC, maybe even a D plot in here. We've got a yeah. lot of stuff going on. So let's talk about all the ones up until a, so, one of them is we've got Stuart Penkin, as I mentioned, Arthur Moreau, who is an overweight cat burglar. It's a one joke thing. There's really not a whole lot to that. <laughs> it's one joke for 30 minutes. Uh, and yeah. what's really sad, I love Stuart Pankin. I have interviewed him within the last year and a half. He is a genuinely amazing human being. 
And I love him to death in everything. I mean, he's in one of my favorite TV shows as uh, Earl Di- Earl fucking Sinclair on Dinosaurs. Yeah. What a waste. I'm sorry. Like, he's a what total an waste. absolute shame that he is in this episode having to make fun of his own weight. And he'll be back. I mean, yeah, uh, which I'm glad about yeah. when I looked and saw that he's going to be back. All I could say was, all right, I will I will suffer through this for excuse for just constant fat jokes. Right. Yeah, it's it's kind of painful. Let's see what else we got. We got uh, Luger coming in and Luger kind of plays into the A story. And I guess that, that's pretty much I think that's all we have. And then we've got our A story, which is Corey Fisher. Very tall, Corey Fisher, looking like a young uh, John Turturro to me. Yeah, <laughs> when he yeah. came in, I was Very like, "Oh my much god, so. that's the Tur- no, it's not Turturro." Corey Fisher coming in, and he is arrested for shoplifting by Wojo, and he is more than willing to tell Wojo that his name really isn't Jonathan Dodd. It's Gerald Morris or vice versa. I can't remember how it goes, but basically no, he's not just this kind of disheveled hippie looking guy who is stealing from a department store or a a convenience store. He's actually a wanted radical from the late sixties who did all kinds of crimes in order to uh, protest the Vietnam war. And that could be really interesting. I think they get close to it, but they don't go all the way. There is some really, there's some good moments, but they just don't push it far enough, in my opinion. Well, and I think that's primarily because they end up giving the Stuart Pankin storyline so much time. Yeah. yeah. And it's, just, again, like, I don't want to drag because it's, it's, it is 100%. Not Stuart Pankin's fault. No. It is 100% a Tony Sheehan, Lee Grant, and Danny Arnold problem. But every time they they show him next to someone, like when he's next to Corey Fisher or when he's brought in, it's like, you know, the moment he opens his mouth, it's this persecution complex, and it's not funny. Not because I'm overweight and I don't find it funny. Not because skinny people don't find it funny. It's because it's not funny. It's just one, like you said, it's one joke spread over too much bread, like Mm -hmm. one singular joke just gone over and over and over to the point where it's like, you can't polish this turd anymore. Stop. And with the, the Corey Fisher character, you've got two really good things that can come out of the storyline and they, they explore one, but they don't explore the other. So one is the sixties are, you know, eight years behind us at this point. You know, the Democratic National Convention is 10 years behind us, like the height of Vietnam War protests in 1968. That's a decade behind us. And for him to kind of come to the realization that the world has passed him by, people don't know who he is. When he says his name, he's so proud of it and nobody recognizes it. When Bernie calls the FBI or Wojo calls the FBI, they're maybe we'll send somebody over tomorrow so there's no like you know there's not a manhunt that's been going on for this guy (laughs) right so he's finding out you know like he one of his buddies comes by and uh he the the only person i think that he could reach on the phone and now he's selling life insurance he has sold out completely for the man and i love this guy too craig richard nelson is arnold moratz who another super tall guy i don't know where they 
found these I two. But oh man, it's just bizarre. But like, yeah, he is like, no, no, I'm I'm selling life insurance now. He's just he he has given up the game, and so it's this whole like the world has passed this person by. That's great. They do a really good job about that. But where I feel that they fall down in this episode is this whole thing of well, Luger. Getting a heart attack is good because he gets to just start yelling at this guy. And basically Luger's living in the past as well. You're scum and always will be. <laughs> and <laughs> and he's getting great line. And I love way. that Corey Fisher, his his character's getting off on it, that he's just like so excited to be arguing with this old man and like taking him back to the end of the 60s. And he's just like, oh, like he's in his glory. Yeah, he's enjoying him. himself a he's little great. too much. <laughs> but it's this whole thing with Wojo, man. It's this whole thing where Wojo fought in the war. And Wojo really doesn't like that this guy was protesting the war because Wojo kind of feels like he was a dupe and he doesn't want to admit that he was a dupe. And then when everybody else starts piling on and you've got Harris, who's like, oh, yeah, I was at Columbia and I was protesting the war. You got Landisburg, who's like, I was I came out against the war when I was 14 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Landisburg's an alien and could see the writing. Oh, on my the wall. God. It was so good. Yeah. He looked into his crystal ball and <laughs> he probably did his crystal ball on his alien spaceship that he oh landed my God. on planet Earth in. And that's where I wanted more. I wanted this to turn yeah. from a Corey Fisher story into a max scale story i wanted this to suddenly be this thing of max scale realizing i was doing the best thing that i possibly could at the time and now look at the way that people look at this and they look at this as a mistake these were the best years of my life all of these people that i knew died i gave so much for this and even my own co-workers were protesting the war that i was in that's what I wanted this episode to be. Lieutenant Dan, you got your magic legs back. That's what it <laughs> reminded me of. That's where it could have gone. And I wanted it to go more in that direction because, yeah, for as much as Forrest Gump is maudlin and saccharine and, you know, uh, heartstring tearing, this could have been that too. And that last episode was. And I was really expecting this episode to pivot hard towards the end. And again, it, it kind of limps across the finish line. In my mind, like the, the, at least the A story with the 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 protesting and whose side was you on? Whose side were you on? And where did you come down? And how are you talking about it now? And are you even talking about it now? Is everybody moved on? Because they talk about that, you know, well, Jane Fonda and John Wayne are palling it up together, and it's right. like. Yeah, life goes on, right? I mean, Jesus Christ, some of us, a lot of us, all of us have been dealing with things like it for the last two years. And a lot of people ask the same question, when will life go on? And the question is, I don't think there's any, the answer is there is no answer. Because for some people, life will never go on. Not because they're dead, but because this is the thing that they're caught up in now. There are people who will be thinking about COVID for the next 50 years, just like Corey Fisher's character, more than likely, if he were still alive today, is probably still caught up in protesting the Vietnam War or protesting mm-hmm. some war, which there do need to be people in society like that. And we do need to protest stuff that we do not agree with, obviously. But at the same time, I mean, you know, we have to remember that there are real people on the other end of this, like Wojohowicz, who were, were just just he was just a kid in the war. And it's hard to understand that because he even says it because you weren't there. Uh-huh. You weren't there. 
You didn't see your friends getting blown up and hit with punji stakes and everything else. We can, we can never understand that. And I appreciate that about this episode, but I wish it had leaned on it more. I really do. Cause it feels like a missed opportunity and maybe it wouldn't feel like such a missed opportunity if we hadn't had that last episode sandwiched right up against this one. Mm-hmm. I think we probably would be maybe, a, maybe enjoying this episode a little bit more and being kind of appreciative of what it does present if the last episode hadn't handled the race the the issue of race so deftly and so in such a well well reasoned way too because again the 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 argument that they're reasoning out in front of us in this episode is similar to the race one where it's where we do need to find common ground as hard as that may be because we're all coming at this from a different direction and this episode verges on it with the question of you know war and right and wrong and protesters and soldiers who's doing what but yeah i wish it i wish it had just pushed the issue a little bit more mm-hmm. and push Corey fisher off to the side because yeah it should have been a wojohowitz story yeah. that would be the way i would write some of these episodes would be using the supporting guest characters to tell a wojohowitz story or to tell a ron harris story Story, or to tell a Le- Levitt story. And they've done it from time to time. They don't always do it. But when they do it, they, I think it really shows the effectiveness of the writing of the show. Yeah. Yeah. They had that opportunity. They were right there. And they, once Wojo walks away from the cage and starts to have the conversation more with Harris there and Dietrich and stuff, that's that's when this episode really starts to cook. But then they're just like, ah, yeah, let's go back to the cage. And it's like, okay, yeah, the Corey Fisher character is interesting. I like him, all the stuff that's going on. You know, I was very surprised that he is just there on national television calling out Dow Chemical, DuPont, all these other corporations that were just in Vietnam to make money and, you know, help push that war effort along for a long time. But yeah, yeah, I, there's, it, I would say this is like a B episode rather than an A and we just had an A plus. So when you get a B after an A plus, it just, it stings more yeah. than it should. Yeah. I, you know, it's like on uh, a show that we just wrapped up for this year, the the game of Thrones or the Lord of the Rings show. It's It was hard for me to not bring up game of Thrones from time to time because I'm watching them both. And it's the same thing here. If we had, if we had one recording between this episode or these three and the radical whatever episode we would be recording that on i think we would like it a lot more yeah and it suffers from proximity to literally the second episode of this show where we're like this is an amazing episode oh, yeah. we've had really good episodes but hash and the harris incident are the standouts for the entire show yeah not just this season and i think the radical could have been a standout for the show overall if it had really pushed that the war kind of the war protesting issue. And, you know, it's a missed opportunity more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And they're probably never going to come back to it, which is a shame. You do one Vietnam episode and that's it. I mean, we s- saw that on, well, I guess Twilight Zone 85 did it a bunch of times. So <laughs> never mind. Maybe I'm wrong, but I doubt that this show will go back to that well. Because again, like, I mean, people in the 70s did want to stop talking about it. I mean, I get it. You know, I get it. Yeah, but it's worth still discussing and and having a more open and free dialogue about, it. especially the improprieties of companies like Transylvania Six Five Thousands producers, the Dow Chemical Company. Right, right. Yeah, God. yeah, and that was from another malfeasance. That was, I believe, that was uh, related to the big chemical spill in India that uh, happened. I mean, I remember when that was going on, and just I'm sure that was hushed up quite a bit. 
like we didn't get to see pictures of what was going on in India at the time. And I'm sure that it was really fucked up. Yeah. Well, of course. I mean, they say it as much in this episode where there is a war, there is money to be made on all sides. And uh, far be it from any company in this country to not take advantage of it. Jesus Christ. We just spent two years of a pandemic watching companies that make shitloads of money, make more money than they've ever made in the fucking Amazon, (laughs) make more money money than they've ever made in the history of their existence and it's not just a chronologically because it's the next year of their existence no it's it's called they 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 took everybody out back to the fucking woodshed and emptied their pockets for covid stuff and and that's what happened and they did the same thing in vietnam just wasn't amazon it was you know the equivalence of the day sucks it all sucks yeah (sighs) i just wish this episode had taken a firmer stance on it because it feels like it didn't take a firm stance because it would have been rather unpopular to take a firm stance. It's just sad to me that here we are all these years later. I mean, we're still talking about this show. That's a good thing. Yeah, agreed. But the episodes are dealing with stuff that we're still dealing with all these years later. Yep. That's a bad thing. Yep. Yeah. Our country just got out of a war. Yeah. This year. Yeah. I mean, how many places are we still occupying right now? I mean, we are we still in Iraq right now? Are we? No. We're out. No, we're out of we're Iraq out. completely. Okay. Yeah. We still got prisoners in Guantanamo, though. Yeah, but that doesn't exist. Oh, okay. That right. is that is a piece of land that doesn't exist. I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> it, it, uh, and then we're not getting involved in the Ukraine, even though people are suffering over there. Well. Yeah. I mean. Right. You know. They, they don't mean, have any oil. Yeah. Uh, there we go. <laughs> well, neither did Vietnam, but they had communists, which is, you know, as bad as or as 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 yearned for to kill the communists is, is just as much to put oil in your car, gas in your car. So that's that's true. Yeah. You know, gotta and, hate the communists and fill up your giant uh, pickup truck and drive around in it. So. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we can't switch to any other fuels because if the wind stops blowing, wind energy is done. If the sun stops shining, obviously nothing can happen at nighttime because solar power. Heaven heaven forbid we have ways to, you know, charge up like a a, what's the word? Batari? Baton? Batani? Yeah, battery. Battery. Weird. Stored energy. Whoa. A fucking novel concept. I've never heard of such a thing. I know. I, it's almost wow. like my phone and everything I own electronically doesn't run on power or batteries. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's no, to your point, but, and, and what's crazy is not only are we still having these conversations, but we're still having them with idiotic people whose dialogue hasn't changed in 50 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's the saddest part. It's like mm-hmm. the characters from last episode, Ed Peck's character, fucking yeah. exist in 2022, no problem. He's running the police department now. Yeah, man. He 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 took Connor Axon's phone and put him back with Jeffrey Dahmer. He's that kind of cop. Yeah. Yeah, that's the kind of person that Ed Peck's character is. And uh. and again, like it, it, this episode didn't have that it didn't have that antagonist. It had Luger, which like at this point, Luger is a non-threat, a non-issue. He's a he's a puppy dog. So you're not worried that he's going to actually be antagonizing Corey Fisher. It probably needed maybe Corey Fisher's character to be more antagonistic or some just something to push that the the war issue over the edge like they did with Harris's character last episode. Mm-hmm. 
Well, my goodness. On the next episode of The Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller, we're going to be talking about three more episodes. We're going to be talking about Toys, The Indian, and Voice Analyzer. And hopefully, maybe we can get Mr. Max Gale to talk to us about The Indian, because I hear that that episode is particularly a favorite of his. I hope so. I mean, he's he's still acting just like good old Hal Linden. My God, guys, you know what? I'm glad that you're too busy to talk to us because you're still acting and working like dead serious, like good for both of y'all, because holy cow, there aren't enough actors working anymore from this day and age that can still bring it like Hal Linden can because he's still doing stage. He's not he's doing stage, man. Like that's that's a that's a different level. And then Max Gale, I mean, just still acting. I'm I'm glad I'm glad that they are too busy to talk to us, frankly. But hey, please come come talk to us because we love your show. We're effusive beyond effusive. You talk to Otto. Come on, read his book. It's really nice that we still have Stuart Penkin is acting, Christopher mm-hmm. Lloyd is acting. You know, mm-hmm. we've got these guys who were showing up in the 70s, just knocking it out and able to still pull it today. And man, uh, we, we mentioned Stuart Penkin, obviously his like, you know, the fat jokes, but he but he's a baby in this oh, episode. Oh, God, yes. Like a literal, like, it was probably what, early 20s, I assume. But my God, just when he when he showed up, I knew it was him because of his voice. He is an, it's an amazing voice, obviously. But it, it, it is it the timber of it was different because he was so young and the hair. I'm not used to seeing him with long hair either. He's normally kind of the more well put together character in the things that I've seen him in. I mean, obviously, Earl Sinclair or then uh, in the thing that I interviewed him for so many years ago, Xenon, where he plays a the commander of the space station. It, it, it That's the characters I'm used to. So seeing him as this like young teenage guy was just why it was wild. But yeah, no, you're right. Like it, it's it's good that these actors are still keeping it. Keeping it 100%. I mean, again, Chris Lloyd was just in that Spirit Halloween movie. Like, okay. Like, awesome. I'm I'm glad. No, and yeah, please, Max Gale. I, I know I, I know you slept in a teepee on your own property at one point. That's a story <laughs> that we've heard, all heard about. So just want to hear it from the horse's mouth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, my. Well, Chris, until then, what are you up to, sir? Starting a podcast network with you. <gasps> yeah. Oh my God. 19 shows and counting, man. Uh, weirdingwaymedia.com. That's what I am up to. Just creating content, working on content, workshopping ideas, do it, doing the podcast thing. So weirdingwaymedia.com. That's where you can find all the things that I work on, which are 13 of the 19 shows. Cause I counted today just out of curiosity. So yeah, that's where you can find all the things that I work on stuff with you, like the shabby detective stuff with father Malone and you like dreams for sale and a night and uh, midnight viewing the night gallery podcast. We're firmly constantly stuck in the sixties <laughs> and seventies, you and I, and then yes. Yeah, it's yeah. So that's where you can find all of my stuff, weirdingwaymedia.com. What about you, Mike? You know what? Same place. Weird. It's weird, right? Very weird. Yeah, very strange. It's 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 something from the Twilight Sound that we're both doing our stuff, weirdingwaymedia.com. All right. Well, until we talk again next month, all about Barney Miller, which you can now see over on Amazon Prime. So we dragged Amazon so hard. I know. Well, you know, Bezos, I mean, he's got more money than God these days. Next thing you know, he's going to buy Facebook and turn that into a shithole. So we'll find out. Wait, what? (laughs) Do people do that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Charge me eight dollars, please. Uh, eight dollars is too much. Well, how about six? <laughs> I, I could do four. I could do four. I, I haven't gone to see gone back to see if Stephen King has made a second offer. <laughs> Stephen King just probably tweeted a picture of a, a giant mallet and said, "Elon, you want to come visit me in Colorado sometime, big bu- big buddy? I'm your biggest fan, Elon." Oh God. Well, keep listening to all the shows over at readingamedia.com. If you like this show, please give us a rating and review of wherever you get your podcast from, preferably over at iTunes, because they're still kind of the big dog. So, you know, we're praying to our corporate overlords that they'll help us and protect us. Yep. Got to feed the algorithm somehow, man. <laughs>